I wanted to say too, if you haven't had a chance to peek back in the rooms, uh, do so because um, uh, we had some busy people uh, that did a really great job in there painting the back walls and uh, uh, we, we've settled on, we got some what, birch trees in this room and a willow tree in this room. Eventually there's going to be some seedlings in this room and some redwoods in that room and uh, we're kind of doing a tree thing with all the rooms. But uh, thank you to, to Jana Giddings and to Rena Fuller and to Cody Millard for working so hard this week. To, it, it looks beautiful. It really is amazing. It's awesome. Um, I'm just constantly blown away by just uh, the uh, gift set that God has uh, blessed our church with in, in so, so many different kinds of uh, ways. Um, and so anyway, that, that's awesome. Good job, guys. All right, so we're going to continue on in our uh, King's Speech series, looking through um, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, uh, where Jesus uh, preaches a sermon, which we've talked about before, is this kind of inauguration into the kingdom way of doing things. He's, he's saying the kingdom is here, uh, and, and if you're going to be a citizen in, in this kingdom, your life is going to look different than it looked before. There will be certain behaviors, certain actions certain attitudes that will set you apart as a kingdom citizen from a citizen of the world. And, and so a lot of this stuff is, like we've, we've been looking at is really like, I mean, it truly is countercultural. It's, I mean, you know the world that we live in and you know the way this world thinks about things and, and really, and Jesus honestly does, I know it sounds like a no-brainer type of thing to say, but Jesus, Jesus honestly does call us to a different way of life. A, a way of life that would really and truly set us apart from, um, from you know, just the flow of the way life normally goes. And so we're going to look at a passage this morning that starts in verse 38. And this is one of those passages that you've heard. Even if you're not a Christian and haven't grown up in church, there are going to be elements of this. I know that you have heard uh, many, many times before because some of these phrases are just phrases that have kind of worked their way into our everyday speech uh, whether you're a part of the church or not. And, uh, and so the good news is, I think when, when we get finished with this, you're going to be looking at some of these uh, teachings of Christ in, in a different way than you've looked at them before. Uh, because some of these uh, things that Jesus say have kind of disturbed me. Well, you know, lots of things that Jesus say disturbs me. Um, but some of these things have kind of been like, ah, man, I mean, that just seems too hard. I don't know if I can do that. And, and, uh, and I think when we look at what's really going on here, you're going to, feel both better and worse about it. <laughs> so so it's, it's going to be good. All right, so let's just dive in. Um, all right. Da, 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 da. Where am I? Matthew 5. Uh, okay, here we go. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone, anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one that begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, we're going to stop right there. 
I'm going to sit on this passage for just a little bit. So this is the, you know, Jesus kind of, uh, one of his most famous teachings that he says, the kind of turn the other cheek thing. If, if Jesus is known for any teaching at all, it's probably, it may be this one more than any others in terms of his teachings. Turn the other cheek. He was a turn the other cheek type, type of guy. Now growing up, uh, I don't know if you grew up in a turn the cheek house or hit the cheek first house. I don't know which house you grew up in. I do know this. I know this about our society, that we live in a society that, um, that we have become a people who are known by the things that we're offended by. We've become a people known by the things that we're offended by. If you're on Facebook at all, you see this played out in some uh, awesomely awful ways. Uh, where, where people, you know, it's just everybody's, uh, this offends me. And, you know, you know, if I had a dislike button, I'd dislike, you know, <laughs> just stupid stuff. And, and it, we've become this people that we're known by what we're offended by. And Jesus deals with this uh, whole uh, attitude of offense in this passage. Um, what, what, does, what does it look like when somebody who's a citizen of the kingdom gets offended? Now, I'm just going to kind of go through this uh, phrase by phrase because there's a lot to unpack here. And he starts off and he says, um, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. All right. So when we hear that phrase, that biblical phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, in our kind of modern sensibility, that seems like, um, that seems harsh, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like, um, you know, it seems like we should be better than an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. That just sounds like revenge, like a revenge game, right? But actually when this, this was an old mosaic law, and uh, so back hundreds of years before Christ, this law came around and, and started being known. And the reason for an eye for an eye and a, and a tooth for a tooth was it was actually an act of mercy. And what it meant back in that day, let's say you came to my, um, my village or my land and you stole one of my cows. Um, I, very mal, I very well might, as a reaction to that offense, gather up everyone in my village and go to your village and just kill everyone, right? And this was kind of the thing. You've offended me, and so I'm going to wipe you off the face of the planet. That's, that was kind of the attitude that pervaded back then. And Mo, Moses and his law came around and said, no, 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 this is, this is too extreme. Let the, let the uh, punishment be suitable to the offense, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so it was actually kind of this act of uh, grace to say, don't overreact about things. You don't got to get all you know, uh, genocidal over the loss of, a, you know, a, a rug or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's ridiculous. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So Jesus says, then, you know, fast forward several hundred years and Jesus' time, he said, okay, all you, all you Jews that are listening to me, you've grown up under the system of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He said, but this is what I want to say to you. And, and then he, he says it right here. He says, um, I lost it again. Okay, and I forgot. But uh, he says, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. In other words, don't go to battle at all with the one who is evil. And he says, uh, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, okay, we got some unpacking to do on this one. Um, okay, I'm just curious by a show of hands. Who grew up in a turn the other cheek house? Okay. Who grew up in a, if somebody slaps you, you better hit them back house. All right. All right. Okay. Good. Good American families. All right. So, so here's, so I grew up in this, I, my dad was a pastor, uh, but he was also a good Oklahoman. And, and, and so the way I was taught this passage as a kid was 
if somebody, if you're at school, somebody hits you, you follow the Bible and you turn the other cheek. And then my dad said, but if they hit that cheek, you lay into them. That was my dad. That was my dad's philosophy on turn the other cheek. Right. And so when Jesus teaches it, this is a really like, I think a lot of times when we hear this turn the other cheek thing taught, it sounds like we're called to kind of just roll over. Like be a, a, a doormat for everybody in the world to walk on. And so you hear this kind of played out in these ethical, uh, hypothetical dilemmas. Like, okay, well, yeah, but if somebody comes into my house and starts, you know, terrorizing my family, I'm not going to turn the other cheek. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get busy. I'm going to do something about that. Or if, you know, or if somebody, you know, you know I, we have the right to defend ourselves and things like that. So how do we flesh that out, that, that kind of innate desire of ours to defend ourselves against attack with this teaching of Jesus to turn the other cheek. And what I want to show you is point out there's some really critical language here that I think we oftentimes meet. He says, do not resist the one who's evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, um, Rob, come here, I'm going to slap you. All right, so, uh, okay, so if, if Rob, if I'm, gonna, I'm the slapper, he's the slappy, okay, where's your right cheek? Right there. Okay. If I'm going to slap Rob on the right cheek, it's going to be like this, right? Okay. Go ahead. You can sit down. All right. All right. All right. That was relatively painless. Okay. So it's going to be, it's going to be this backhand. In other words, what Jesus, Jesus is actually speaking to people under authority. People who got slapped like that, that backhanded across the right, right cheek type of, were people who were slaves their, their owner, their master was exercising, reminding them of who he was and who they were. They were, they were slaves. They were children. They were, unfortunately, wives. They were people who didn't have power, and somebody else was abusing power over them. And, it, and, and that backhanded slap, it's a very insulting slap, isn't it? It's not a punch. Like, like I, can, I can take a punch. I don't want to take a punch, but I can take a punch. There's something different about a punch. But that, that it's insulting. It's that, that person that's doing that slapping is saying, you need to remember who I am and who you are, and I'm putting you in your place, right? And Jesus is saying, when somebody comes at you that way in that offensive, condescending, horrible way, he's saying, rather than jump back at them, turn the other cheek to them. When you turn the other cheek to them, they can't quite hit you exactly the same way. They got to come at you man to man. And, and Jesus is almost saying, "Okay, go ahead. If, if that's what makes you feel powerful, hit me again. But this time, we're, you're going to do it as an equal, not as my, not as somebody who lords over me." Jesus isn't talking about you can't defend yourself from attack or anything like that. He's saying, he's saying for those of you who find yourself on the the short end of the stick when it comes to power. For those of you who feel abused by husbands or fathers or masters or governmental authorities or, or you know, what, whatever that might be, you say, turn the other cheek. Don't feel like you've got to jump back up in there. But when you do it, it's, it's almost like turning the other cheek is not just laying down. It's really kind of when you think about it, it's a way of shaming the person that is doing, that, is doing that attack. When you stand there and you don't do anything back and you actually offer them that other cheek, come on, if that's what makes you feel powerful, do it again. You put them in the place to kind of come to grips with who they are. 
And Jesus follows this pattern of advice in, 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 the, in, the, in the next uh, couple of passages. He says this, um, And if anyone uh, would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So somebody, somebody uh, uh, comes at you with a lawsuit, and they're coming after your, your tunic, which is basically a, like a shirt. They're going to they're take the shirt off your back. Jesus says, let them have your cloak as well. Don't, don't, let, don't stop there. If they're going to take that from you. Go ahead, give them the whole thing. And what Jesus is actually now, now when we hear tunic and cloak, we think shirt and like an overcoat or something like that, right? But you have to keep in mind back in Jesus' day, most people wore nothing except a tunic and a cloak. And it was, in, in our day, it would be like Jesus saying, if somebody sues you and they're trying to take the shirt off your back, give them your pants too. Stand there naked before them. Let them soak in what it is they're doing to you. Shame them by an extra kindness. Shame them by not being offended. You can't offend me. You want to take this? Take it. Take it all. Go ahead. Look what you've done to me. Does that make you feel great? That's fine. You can't, you can't offend me. You want, to, you want to backhand me? You want to try to put me in my place? Go ahead. Do it again. I, I can't be... I can't be offended by you. He goes on and he says this. um, Let him have his tunic as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, this was a teaching about uh, Roman centurions, Roman soldiers. By law, any Roman soldier could uh, grab a citizen and say, uh, you're going to walk with me for a mile. You're going to carry my pack. You're going to carry my pack. I'm tired. I've just found you. You're with me, walking with me a mile, carrying my pack. Now, according to law, the Roman soldiers could not force a citizen to do any more than that. They couldn't force him to go any more than a mile. Any more than a mile was considered, uh, um, you know, just, just above and beyond or, or potentially uh, cruel or an abuse of power. And so it was actually against the law for Roman soldiers to require citizens to Make them go more than that one mile. And, and Jesus is saying, rather than be offended when a Roman soldier says, here, take my pack and carry it for a mile, he's saying, he's saying go above and beyond. R- remind them kind of of what they're doing and say, no, no, I, I'm going I'm to go with you an extra mile. You know what you're doing in that point? You're actually putting that Roman soldier in the position of possibly getting punished for making you carry an extra mile because it was illegal to them to do that, for them to do that. Jesus is not here saying, give away all your power. He's actually saying, pick up your power by being a person who will refuse to be offended. I will not be offended. You want to lord your power over me? That's fine, but you, you, you can't destroy who I am. I'm not going to allow you as a person to define me as a person. I'm defined by Christ. I'm defined by Christ. You want to take from me? You can't take enough from me. You want to hit me? Go ahead and hit me. You want to force me to do something I don't want to do? Go ahead. I'll do more than you're expecting. I can't be offended. That's a, is that not a powerful teaching? I mean, that's, that's powerful when you look at it that way. And it is, I think, one of the things that we're called to be, and, and I, Christians, I think we miss the boat on this more often than not. And that's, that's my first point. We need to be unoffendable. We need to be unoffendable. I, um, we were at our counseling training yesterday and uh, heard some great teaching. And one of the guys um, was an uh, uh, older gentleman. He's approaching retirement, actually, but he, he has a long history of service in church. He was a pastor. And he began to tell stories that uh, 
made my PTSD kick in. <laughs> and as he, as he told the story of, of one of the first churches he served in as a young pastor and how uh, things were going great, 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 and then suddenly the leadership of the church just turned on him and abused him and his family. Uh, it was scandalous. It was horrible. It w- I mean, to hear, I can't, I don't have time to go into all the details, but to hear the details of the way this man and his family was treated, it would, you would think that there's no way that could happen in a church. And I sat there and listened to that. And, and, um, I, I honestly started crying as I was listening to him tell his story because it, 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 that was my church story growing up as a kid, watching my dad pastor, some of the early churches I served in as a youth pastor, that was my church story. And my heart, my heart just broke for him. And over and over and over, what I've seen in churches is people who love Jesus but are way too easily offended. Way too easily offended. And when you become a person who is so easily offended, and by the way, it's very kind of in vogue uh, to be an offendable person, like I said earlier, in our nation. But when we become people who, are, who will rise above offense and say, no, no, you, you, can't, you can't offend me. It's all good. It's all good. There is, I don't think there's anything, uh, and we talked about, Phil and I talked about this several weeks ago, but I don't think there's anything we as a church can do to preserve the unity of the church than to become unoffendable people. Unoffendable. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat and you let people walk all over you. If you need to talk to somebody, talk to them. But you know what? I'm not going to break fellowship with you. I'm not, I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to be your enemy. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to do that. But if something kind of sticks in my craw and I can't let it go, then, okay, we'll have a conversation about it, you know, just so I can, you know, get some sleep at night or whatever. But it's not because I'm trying to put you in your place or it's not because I'm trying to lord over you in any way. I'm, I'm not going to be offended. Some of you, I, I have a feeling, just because I know there's enough people in this room that it hits at least one of you, that you, you are struggling in your life in this area right now. You find yourself offended by just about anything and everything. Maybe it's at work. Like you're, just, you're at work just like bitter and angry all the time. Like everything anybody does, it just grates on you, and you find yourself offended by every little thing. Maybe it's at home. Maybe, not, maybe your wife or your husband cannot catch a break from you because you cannot stop being offended about every little thing that they do. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe you're a kid and, and your, your parent, you, you can't, you're not giving your parents an ounce of grace, an ounce of grace, because you're just, a, you, you, just, you're just ah, you just despise everything they do. Can I challenge you to, to kind of go prayerfully to God and make a decision like, God, help me become unoffendable. Help me become unoffendable. Help me to always kind of think the best about people. Help me to, whenever stuff does start getting on my nerves or, or maybe offending me or whatever, help me to have the, the will or the power of your Holy Spirit or whatever we want to call it that will help me to rise above that situation and not instead of just diving into it. I don't, I don't want to be an offendable person anymore. If you want to be a member of Jesus' kingdom in a way that will set you apart from the kingdoms of this world, 
I, I, this, there's few ways you can do it better than this one. I am unoffendable. You, can't, you, you don't define me. You don't, you don't decide who I am. You, you have no control over who I am. You have no control over what my feelings are. I make the decisions that control my feelings. You don't have that power over me. You can't offend me. You can't. Jesus goes on further and he says this. Verse 43. He said, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Now here's the tough part. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, Jesus just told us we need to be perfect. Um, has anybody else got a problem with that? <laughs> like, I got a problem with that. Jesus just told me. Jesus, is, you know, he's God, he's man, he's all that rolled into one big ball, you know, of, of God-man. And, and here he is, uh, you know, standing as the, the king of kings and lord of lords, telling me, who I'm not, I'm the king of none and the lord of none, uh, you got to be perfect. Just, just like I'm perfect, I want you to be perfect. Now, let me start at the beginning where Jesus says, you know, you, again, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Okay? So, just so you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say hate your enemies. Nowhere. That, 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 that was not, not taught anywhere in the Word of God. But what would happen a lot of time is different teachers, different rabbis, different priests and people like that who would teach the Word would uh, take a, a passage of scripture and then they would add their own commentary to it. So to kind of help the people live it out in a way that made sense to them. So they would took, take the love your neighbor passage that was clearly taught in the word and say, so your neighbor, in other words, your fellow Jews, love each other. But when it comes to our enemies, hate them. Go ahead, hate them. But make sure we're loving each other. Make sure we're loving each other. Hey, you want to hate other people? That's fine. But don't you be caught not loving your neighbor. And Jesus said, now you've heard it taught, even though I'm not the one that said it. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And, I'm, and he's saying, but really? He says, is that really the way? Not, not in my kingdom. Not in my kingdom, it's not the way. You want, you want to be a citizen of my kingdom? You don't just love those people you like. You love those people who don't love you. You love those people that you have identified as enemies. That is, um, who here has ever in your life had somebody that you would genuinely consider an enemy? Anybody? Me? I'm the only one? A couple of you? We've got a very holy crowd in the room today. All right. I've had a few. I've had a few people in my, over the course of my life that I would go, okay. Like if I got an enemy, it's that person. Like they're constantly out to get me. And Jesus says, instead of seeking my own retaliation instead of seeking my own revenge, what I'm supposed to do is love them. Is there, can you think of a harder thing to do than loving someone that hates you and is not, does not have your best interest in mind at all? 
is maybe, out, maybe trying to get you fired, get you kicked out of a situation that you love or that you've worked for, and I'm supposed to love that person? That is a hard, hard teaching. And I'm going to tell you, that's one that does not come natural to us. What comes natural to us is that you just wait. It's coming back around. You watch. When you're least expecting it, it's coming back around. Maybe I'll do it right to your face, right? We get very bold and belligerent, and we feel like that's what makes us men and women is when we stand up in a very aggressive way to people who are against us. And Jesus says, what if you loved them instead? What if you loved them? Like, when Jesus says, I want you to follow my example on this, I want you to be perfect with this, even as I'm perfect. We have that tendency, like I was saying earlier, to say, okay, Jesus, you know, who, do you, who, do you, kind of, who do you think you are to tell me to do that? You're God. I don't have God qualities, right? Like, I'm not omniscient and all-powerful and all-see. I'm not any of that stuff. I'm not pure love. That's not who I am. You know me. You created me. You know I can't do what you've just asked me to do. I can't be perfect. Like, who? it's easy for you, your God. Like, what gives you the uh, gumption, uh, the boldness to ask me to love my enemies? I'm going to tell you what gives him the right to do that is that when you were his enemy, he loved you. When you were his enemy, he loved you. Every single one of us in this room have been, or maybe for some of you still are, an enemy of God. Every single one of us. You placed yourself in direct opposition to God, to his way of doing things, to his salvation, to everything about we've placed ourselves in opposition to him at one point or another in our life and we have been his enemy and he loved us my next point is is this we need to love scandalously we need to practice scandalous love there's nothing more scandalous does anybody watch that show scandal love that show scandal I know I probably shouldn't preach about how I love the show Scandal, but I'm not preaching. That was a sidebar to the sermon. Uh, but, but yeah, that show Scandal. Uh, so, so if you watch the show Scandal or you're, or you're familiar with American news <laughs> or anything, you understand what Scandal is. Scandal is something uh, seedy that shouldn't have happened, that has come to light, and now everybody knows that it has happened, right? Can I tell you the most scandalous thing that has ever happened in the history of this world was when the long-awaited King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Messiah, Savior of the nation of Israel came to this earth and died willingly a criminal's death. A criminal's death. It doesn't get more scandalous than that. And the reason we're called to love people in scandalous ways is because God has loved us in scandalous ways. Because he has gone above and beyond what makes sense for the sake of having a, a right relationship with us. 
I'm just going to ask you, if you were to think of one person in your mind that's kind of set their face against you, either now or in the past or whatever, what would it possibly look like if instead of feeding into that conflict, you chose to love them scandalously? Like, they don't deserve this. They've been horrible to me. They don't care one lick about me. I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to love them anyway. Jesus says, if you want to be a member of my kingdom, a citizen of my kingdom, that's the way we do things. I'm not going to be offendable. I'm going to love people in a way that they don't deserve, in a way that's even scandalous. I want to close with this. Um... Again, the reason I can, I can preach this is not because I'm good at it, uh, because I'm not. The reason I can preach this is because I can look at the way God has loved me. Our Father is a good, good Father. He loves us in ways that sometimes just cripple me. Just absolutely crippled me. Um, when I think about how compared to a, a perfect, holy, righteous, loving God, how horrible I've been in my life at times. How horrible I continue at times to be in my life. And how he chooses to love me again and again and again. His love knows no end. That he has promised me that what he started in me, he'll be faithful to complete in me. He won't give up on me. He says in his word, you can be unfaithful to me, but I can't be unfaithful to you. I can't. That kind of love, when we, when we kind of come face to face with that, if that doesn't do something to you, like, because I know, uh, okay, I'm, I, I'm not trying to play, it's going to sound like I'm playing some sort of comparison game. It's not my intent. But like, like I try to live for God, you know? Like I, I do. I, I know this comes as a shock from your pastor. But I, I try, like I really try to follow Christ. I really try to, to do the things that he asks of me, to embrace the grace that he's gifted me. I, I really try to stay close to Jesus. And as a person who tries intently, who pours into the word and pours into prayer time, and, and, and as a person who really attempts to, to live this life that we're called to live, I know how often I fail that calling. And I'm so when when the, the gentleman that I was talking about uh, that was talking yesterday about the horrible church experience he had gone through and everything, and I said it kind of kicked up my PTSD, and uh, and I did. I just sat there on the front row of that room, just kind of weeping, and. Um, but I was not just weeping because of memories of going through those kind of hard times. I, more than that, that was a little bit of it. 
But more than that, I was weeping because of the gratitude I felt for you all. I was weeping because that's not my reality anymore. I'm so blessed to be a part of a church where unity is a big deal. It's a big deal. We're not perfect, and I don't know that we can say we're unoffendable yet. <laughs> but um, but we're, we're, we're on the path. We're definitely on the path. I just, I just welled up with gratitude for you all, for this church. And when I think through uh, how I have treated my Savior and then how he has treated me in return, I feel that same sense of gratitude of I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't know what I did to deserve this. I know according to the word I didn't do anything. But I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thank- How could I not be thankful for that kind of love? How could we not be thankful for that kind of love? Like, he loves us. Like, we spend so much, we waste so much time and energy in our life stressing over how God might feel about us. Can I just, can I, can I just tell you just to kind of shake and erase that out of your brain and just accept the fact that the way God feels about you is that he loves you and even likes you. He loves you and he even likes you. And when he sees you fail, it does not shake his love for you. Anybody else ever feel that way? You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody else ever feel that way where you feel like, oh, I screwed up so bad, I'm sure God's feeling weird about me right now. God's not feeling weird about you. You know what he's feeling? He's feeling love for you. Love. When one of my kids comes to me and they have failed in some way, They've sinned against somebody else or against God or against me and they come to me and they own that and I don't I don't like hold bitterness over them. I love them. And God does an even better job of that than than I can do. I'm a meh meh father. He's a good good father. I mean, he's a good, good father. Would you just do this for a second? Would you, would you close your eyes, kind of get inside your head for a second, and would you just, I, this will be painful for some of you, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Um, would you think back to the lowest, worst, most shameful moment of your life? Something, you're trying not to think about it right now, but it popped into your head, you can't help it. I want you to know that God loves you now seated in his church in a state of grace just as much as he loved you in that moment in a state of disgrace. His love for you is unfaltering. It is unfailing. Why does he call us to love perfectly? Because that's the way he's loved us. And we didn't deserve it either. We just didn't. But he's a good, good father. And he is perfect in all of his ways. Perfect. Be perfect as I am perfect. He is perfect in all of his ways. Father, I love you and I thank you so much for your word to us today. I thank you that... 
We are not good, but you are. I thank you that we, uh, when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful. Um, I thank you that you call us to a way of living that is beyond ourselves, but you empower us through the dwelling of your Holy Spirit in our lives to live the way that you've called us. God, while I on my own can never be perfect, through the power of your Holy Spirit in my life, God, uh, this world will see flashes of perfection. So God, help me to love in scandalous ways. Help me to be unoffendable. Make me like you. Make me like you. God, if there's anybody in the room right now that is living outside of a relationship with you because they feel like they are not good enough, they have not changed their life enough to get ready for you um, because they feel like the things they've done in their past are too horrible for you to forgive, uh, because they feel like they would just disappoint you all the time. God, I pray right now that again, through the movement of your Holy Spirit in this room, that your love would just overwhelm them where they sit. That they would know and feel exactly how loved and accepted by you they are right now. We thank you for that. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for rescuing us when we could not rescue ourselves. We thank you for doing it in a scandalous way. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.